today on Ag News Daily. Because we still have, we still have some supplies of corn, and the world's largest buyer isn't knocking down our door to start buying corn at this point. It's just a steady flow. Most of the demand right now is coming from feed yards. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It's another Ag News Daily podcast, and it's Ashton Carr joined by Delaney Howell. And Delaney, I've got to say down here in Lubbock, it is pretty wet and cold. How about up there in Iowa? Mm, uh, It's pretty chilly. No rain as of yet, but it looks like it definitely could. And to be quite honest, Ashton, I haven't gone outside much or done much of anything here over the past couple of days. I tested positive for COVID-19 last week and have been... Not feeling too terrible, I've got to admit. Just a little tired, a little achy, but haven't felt energy to go do a whole lot. Yeah, and I'm really praying and hoping that, you know, nothing takes a a hard turn or anything for you and that you have a quick recovery. And I don't know if I ever talked about it on the podcast, but I also tested positive for COVID-19 earlier this summer. I believe it was in June. And I think I had a pretty mild case similar to yours, but still just hoping that everything continues to go well as you finish off your quarantine. Thank you. Yes, that's the worst part is being stuck at home with, I mean, there's stuff to do, but I'm really bored of it already. There's only so many books and shows and things you can read and watch. So if people have ideas of things I can do while I'm stuck in quarantine, throw them at me. But uh, yeah, definitely pretty lucky to have a mild case. And I would say, honestly, I know this is maybe kind of sinister, but I think at this point, everybody's probably going to get COVID at one point or the other. So I'm glad I'm getting out of the way. I wish it wasn't right before Thanksgiving. Yeah, I am kind of right there with you on thinking that people are going to get it one way or another. And I mean, there's no telling how many people have had it, but didn't know that they had it because they were either asymptomatic or, you know, their case was super mild that they just thought that they had a common head cold or, or something like that. It's super hard to determine. It is. It is. I agree. But since we're talking COVID-19, Ashton, I saw this piece of news and thought it would be interesting to our listeners. A new study done by Columbia University's School of International and Public Affairs in Chicago published a recent study that suggests six to eight percent of U.S. coronavirus cases through the end of July, were tied to meat processing facilities. Their peer review study as I mentioned, was conducted there in Chicago, and the findings show that there was a strong positive relationship between meatpacking plants and local community transmissions, and suggest that plants acted as transmission vectors, is what they're terming it, which accelerated essentially the spread of the virus. It, the study estimated that some 236,000 to 310,000 coronavirus cases occurred because of or in and around livestock processing plants with about 4,300 to 5,200 deaths uh, through the end of July were associated to livestock plants. Now, these weren't necessarily folks that worked in facilities, but they just said within proximity to a livestock plant. So essentially, it could have been a worker, part of a community, came home, spread it to family and friends that way. But I uh, thought that was pretty interesting that their study is already able to pinpoint things like that. You know, Delaney, I'm glad that you brought this up because I read over it earlier. And to be honest, I didn't find it a big surprise because we already knew that, you know, cities 
that had packing plants or, or livestock operations were already hotspots for COVID-19, but I'm certainly glad that they were able to conduct that survey or that report and get some numbers to us. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. It certainly is. And another interesting thing concerning COVID-19 is the infection of mink. And I think I reported either last week or the week before about Denmark and how they were set to cull a lot of mink. I can't remember the exact number off the top of my head and that we were following along with it here in the U.S. with our mink herds. Well, there are some mink infected with coronavirus that have been found at a farm in western France, and a thousand of those mink at that farm will be culled. Cases in mink have also been reported elsewhere in Europe, of course in Denmark, but also notably in Sweden, Greece, and the Netherlands. And France started testing its four mink farms in mid-November. But I thought it was pretty interesting as we're seeing it go through mink. I just think that that's pretty crazy to me because in animals, at least, the only stories that I have heard about are in really just cats. I don't think I've think I don't think that I've heard of anything concerning COVID nineteen cases in other kinds of animals. But dogs. At least, oh, okay. See, I hadn't heard really about dogs, but. Um, At least in in Denmark, the virus was found to have mutated into a different strain. And so I'm definitely keeping my eye out on this to see if there's other kinds of, I guess, muted strains to be found in different animals. Um, Yeah. So I actually I'm not saying it's been found. I think it maybe has been found in one dog. But I know this just from my own experience. My dog has actually had a coronavirus vaccine shot. So I believe it I believe it's possible to get it in dogs. I don't know if this is the same strain or a similar strain or a completely different strain, but dogs are um, absolutely able to get coronavirus as well as I believe cattle. There's a strain, if I'm not mistaken, that can impact cattle as well. So it is pretty interesting to see uh, it affect different species. Yeah, and Delaney, I'm glad that you mentioned cattle because that just brought the idea to my head that when the pandemic was first going on, people in the agriculture industry on Twitter were talking about COVID-19 and cattle and how they do vaccinate for that. But I, I it's a different strain, I'm pretty sure. So mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought that. Yeah, absolutely. In other news, Ashton, we I think we mentioned this briefly on the podcast about two weeks ago when this news broke, but China is part of a new agreement called RCEP, which is basically a free trade agreement with 14 other countries, the world's largest trade pact at that. But on the heels of this agreement, China has now released a statement that they are pledging for a stronger presence in global markets. They said that their demand for domestic and imported goods is only going to continue to grow as their country commits to increasing their presence on the global stage. This was said by President Xi Jinping himself at a gathering of the Asian Pacific Economic Cooperation Organization. And he didn't mention whether or not this would include larger and more trade with the U.S. or any other name countries and for that matter but he did say that they he, he said this comment quote mounting unilater- unilateralism protectionism and bullying as well as backlash against economic globalization have added risks and uncertainties 
in the world economy. So on the one hand, it sounds like they're eager to step into the global market. On the other, it sounds like they're going to play hardball with some countries who have been bullying them, again, using their words. Um, But if I had to speculate, I would say the United States and Australia will be at the top of their list for countries that fit within those categories. You know, Delaney, I think you might be correct in that statement, but I want to bring things back domestically and talk about the biofuels industry. America's biggest biofuels companies plan to ask President-elect Biden to impose a nationwide standard to reduce carbon emissions from transport fuels, according to five different sources familiar with the matter, and hope to preserve a role for products like ethanol amid the fight against climate change. The planned push for the biofuels industry reflects its increasing concern about the future as Biden prepares measures to slash emissions that could append traditional energy markets and as the renewable fuel standard nears expiration in its current form. Officials from biofuel companies and trade groups like Pacific Ethanol and the Renewable Fuels Association teamed up with representatives from the agriculture, auto, and electricity industries to draft a letter to Biden urging a nationwide, quote, clean fuel standard. But right now it's not clear which groups had signed the final letter or when that letter is actually going out. So hopefully within the next coming days, even though we are you know, in a holiday week that we get some answers as to what exactly the final letter said and who stands behind that letter. Well, I'm glad you brought up biofuels industry because I also have some biofuel industry news. Back in 2016, there was a lawsuit filed against the EPA due to some uh, renewable fuel waivers that were granted. We've seen in 2017 that the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia ruled that the EPA illegally waived those gallons from the 2016 renewable fuel standard. Now, here we are in 2020, and a coalition of agriculture and biofuel groups is now pressing the federal appeals court on this matter. They said back in 2017, when the U.S. Court of Appeals ruled that the EPA had illegally waived the gallons, the EPA was supposed to then enact and require the agency to restore them. And so this coalition of agricultural groups, which include folks like National Corn Growers Association, Growth Energy, Renewable Fuels Association, National Biodiesel Board, and quite a few others, are pressing the federal courts to order the EPA to restore those 500 million gallons of ethanol to the renewable fuels standard. They said it's simply unconsciousable that the EPA would so brazenly ignore a federal court's order, this group said in their statement. Uh, They're pushing hard to see this enacted into the 2021 renewable fuel volumes. But yeah, 500 million gallons of ethanol technically were supposed to be included. That is a very large number, Delaney, and I'm 
kind of anxious to see more of this story unfold as we continue on the week. But like I said earlier, it is a holiday week. So I think that the news presses are running a little bit slow this week. So I'm all out of news. Let's see. I believe I am as well. Other than talking markets, Ashton, and we've seen the markets again continue to trend higher here. We're continuing to watch South American weather to see how that's playing into things. They're continuing to run drier than normal. Uh, They should be drier than normal, according to a lot of weather models here for the next 10 to 14 days. That has been pretty supportive for the markets. We're going to get Darren Newsom's take on it here in just a little while. But in the meantime, Ashton, let's run through some closing market numbers. Kicking things off first in the corn market. December corn closed up three and a half cents to close at four twenty-six and three quarters. The March up five and a half to close at four thirty-three and three quarters. In the soybean pits, the January contract up eleven and a quarter cent to close at eleven ninety-two and a quarter. The March up eleven and three quarters to close at eleven ninety-three on the nose. They did make their way though in the overnight at twelve dollars and have a. I believe braced or breached through that now. So we'll get Darren Newsom's take on that here in just a moment. Shutting down here to the Chicago wheat markets, December adding five and three quarters cent to close at 599. The March up five and a quarter to close at 604 and three quarters. Hopping over to look at livestock. The December live cattle contract added a dollar ninety today to close at one ten on the nose. The February up two twenty five to close at one twelve ninety. In feeder cattle, the January contract up three twenty two to close at one thirty seven eighty two. The March up two ninety to close at one thirty seven twenty seven and a half. And in lean hogs, December up eighty two cents to close at sixty four ninety five. The February up a dollar seventy seven and a half to close at sixty seven twelve. And rounding out our markets with the Class 3 Dairy Milk Futures. December down 29 cents on the day to close at 15.69. The January down 23 to close at 16.41. Without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation with Darren Newsom. Well, as promised, we are talking to the wonderful, sunny, happy Darren Newsom today of Darren Newsom Analysis on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Darren, thank you so much for joining. Well, Delaney, as always, thank you for having me on again. Absolutely. Love having you on, Darren. And I I tease when I say that you're sunny and happy and all that, but I think our listeners know that you do give it to us in a very realist perspective, which is why we have you on so often. Um, Darren, yes, heading into heading into this holiday week, Darren, uh, we've seen mm-hmm. a lot of market activity, obviously, here in the last couple of weeks. Do you anticipate that we'll see a squaring up of positions heading into the Thanksgiving weekend? Will we see a sell-off or will we see anything dramatic happen here? Now, there's there's really no reason for it to happen. Uh, you know, we're not just going to see all, you know, these funds all of a sudden say, oh, you know, I I have to get rid of, I have to get out of all my long positions. You know, we saw overnight into Monday morning, we saw soy, we saw jam soybeans hit hit twelve bucks, and you know, we saw a five six cent rally in corn. Is a sell off possible? Yes. Do they have to do it just because it's Thanksgiving weekend? Absolutely not. Fundamentally, the markets haven't changed. Both corn and soybeans are still bullish. Uh, you know, the we, we're still going to see once we get through the holiday season. You know, we're still going to see commercial buying coming in and providing support to these markets. So, 
So nothing has really changed. We do normally see trade volume come down this week. And what that does or what it can do is it ratchets up, ratchets up volatility a bit. Uh, we can see some wild price swings. And, and if Monday, again, is any indication, yeah, that's certainly something we can look forward to through the end of the week. Yeah, wild price swings have been the name of the game, it seems like here lately. Darren, let's talk soybeans in particular. Uh, they broke through that magical $12 number, I believe just in the overnight, but correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, what's it going to take for us to actually hold above those levels? You know, I, it is something I posted over the weekend, both in my latest column and then and again in a study this morning. If we, if we look at the price range, and we throw out the last four years and we go back to the previous eight years when we were in a free market situation, we're about midpoint of the range, about 1130 uh, on the cash side was about midpoint of the range. So, you know, we've got a lot of room if we are again expected to join the global soybean market. And so there's, you know, there's room to the upside. You know, we, we've taken We've taken the range off here. We're allowing the market to run a little bit. We do have a tight supply situation. We've, we've had an inverted future spread. We've got strong basis. Uh, you know, so we've, we've got a lot of things pulling this market higher right now. And there's, you know, $12 is a number. $13 is a number. There's, there's really no upside target at this point. It's just, it's just going to, the market just looks like it, after being cooped up for four years, it looks like it just wants to run now. So, Darren, I know you don't like giving a number. Most folks don't. And you mm -hmm. mentioned that there's there's no reason really to suggest the market stopping. But we've got to talk about how long this rally can last, how long this upside can last, and where you do mm -hmm. think it will fizzle out. The It's easier to put a time frame on it. Um, and the time frame would be, say, late February. Uh, let's 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 cut that back. Say late January through mid February, when we get a better idea of what Brazil's production is going to be. A lot of this has been built on the idea that we have seen increased demand for U.S. soybeans. We've seen solid sales. We've got a lot of sales on the books right now. We've seen big shipments. The question is, will this continue? after February, or does Brazil take all of the business back once it reloads, once it refills its, its supplies with its next harvest? If they are indeed having the type of, of you know, weather problems that it looks like they are, and it's cutting into production the way some folks are talking about it, then that looks like it could bode well for our market beyond the February timeframe. But for now, we have to have that as our market. How high we could be, I have no idea. I mean, like I said, this, this market's just running right now. It's got support from both sides. It's got investment money coming in. It's got fundamentals buying. Excuse me, it's got commercial traders buying. The, the, it's more of a time frame issue at this point. And that is, when does the market get comfortable if it gets comfortable with Brazilian production? So let's walk through both potential scenarios here, Darren. Let's say... Or just answer both for me. If we do see Brazil and Argentina's uh, issues realized, what does that do for our window of exporting to China and other countries? And if they don't have as bad of weather concerns as what we're thinking right now, what does that do for us? I mean, that one's pretty obvious, right? We just stop exporting probably yeah. as much as we are. But if they do actually have the concerns that folks are suggesting, uh, what does that do for our window of exports? 
Well, there's also a third possibility that I'll throw out there, and that is if if we do see a new administration and it takes over in January and we do rejoin the global soybean market, then that changes the game back to the way it was before. And so then we can start adding in, okay, so now what if Brazil's soybeans aren't as good as expected? We're going to, you know, our, our market's just going to continue to push higher. It's going to continue to skyrocket. But if we've rejoined the global market and, and Brazil still has a crop, then it comes back down to market factors, which is what it should have been all along. Now we compare the real to the dollar. Now we compare, you know, the available stocks. Now we compare, you know, what's the FOB price off of the West Coast of, of, uh, of the United States versus off the ports of out of Brazil. All of these things come back into play. Real market factors come back into play. And that's what we want. That's what we need is to see the U.S. soybean industry back in the game, back in realistically rather than just a secondary supplier, actually playing the game to where market factors are important again. Well, I think that everybody will like getting back to some sort of normalcy. I don't know about you, Darren. <laughs> I, I guess I live in the abnormal, so, you know. <laughs> okay, soybeans aside, walk me through what's going on in the corn markets. Are they just feeling some bullish sentiment from soybeans, or is there something else that's driving them no. higher? There's something else that's driving them higher, and, and, you know, all of the apologists for USDA that you and I know in the industry, they're having to, you know, come to their own realization at this point that, for whatever reason, the systemic, the systematic, I always say systemic, but systematic overestimation of, of domestic corn stocks for the last four marketing years, it's, four marketing years has come to an end. I mean, we've seen USDA take a really big eraser to its ending stocks numbers at this point, and really all it's trying to do is get back in line with what the market's been telling us for the last four years. And so what we're seeing in corn at this point is kind of the, the, the everything coming together now. We've, we've had strong basis. We've had strong spreads. We've got the investment money coming into the market because the stocks don't exist. They didn't exist. They still don't exist. Now, the funny thing is it's happening here in 2020 after harvest in, in many areas, not across central Iowa, but in many areas, harvest was actually better than expected. But we're still dealing with the accumulation, with the cumulative effect of overestimating stocks for X amount of years. And the market, again, is realizing this. We're getting back to some market forces and we're able to push higher. Now, it's not the explosive move that we're seeing in soybeans because we still have we still have some supplies of corn and the world's largest buyer isn't knocking down our door to start buying corn at this point. It's just a steady flow. Most of the demand right now is coming from feed yards. Huge number of cattle on feed. Uh, we see that month after month after month, good placements every month. So we've got a very consistent demand, feed demand right now, where exports are doing okay. And ethanol demands a huge question mark, at least for the next few, you know, few weeks, maybe another, you know, the couple months. And then we'll see if we start to see a pickup in ethanol demand again. And Darren, you mentioned um, that central Iowa obviously didn't didn't fare as well as other parts of the country. Mm -hmm. But what are you seeing and hearing from a basis perspective? I know that's something you watch pretty closely as well. 
Yeah, basis is, is just strong everywhere, but the, the, the heart of what I'm hearing as far as where the strength is coming from is the planes, where, again, I, I'm, I'm going to lay this at the feet of this, this, this system of overestimating stocks. A lot of feed yards went into this past harvest with the idea, oh, there's all these stocks available. They're going to come to us. We're going to be able to get our hands on them. And it just didn't exist. I mean, those stocks didn't exist. And so now you've got feed yards across the plains pushing the market. Now, yes, there's parts of Iowa where, again, the production was hurt because of the, the, the horrible windstorm that we saw this past summer. So you've got some tight base, you've got some stronger basis there as well. But the heart, the very strength of the basis is coming from the plains feeding area. And break it down for me, Darren. What are you hearing from cattle folks? Are they struggling to make a profit at these levels, considering that their feed cost is ever increasing? It's a, it's a concern. You know, we're still seeing. Here's the thing: we're still seeing pretty solid cash cattle market. You know, we were here. We were hearing 110 late last week. There's ideas that we could see it go up again this week. Uh, you know, we've got this overall feel that the economy is going to get better. We've seen copper moving higher. We've got the, you know, we've got the stock indexes moving higher. You know, we've got all these things that are hinting at a better economy down the road. Cattle play a big part in that. You know, they, they feed off of that. There's, you know, there's going to be continued strong demand. There are concerns. A lot of these government payments, a lot of these, uh, a lot of these, uh, I can't I just lost the word, you know, for uh, uh, these relief payments are going to come to an end at the end of this year. Are they going to be renewed? Are we going to see any other programs to try to help out with, uh, with, the, with the COVID, with everything getting shut down again, possibly over the course of the winter? These things we don't know. But for right now, there seems to be ample demand for the cattle market to keep it going stronger, that keeps the cash market up, that at least gives cattle producers or those who are feeding them out hope that their market's going to stay strong enough right now to kind of absorb some of these higher feed costs that they're having to pay. What about on the lean hog side of things, Darren? Very bullish. I, I, can you believe I'm saying all this? No, you're saying you're bullish language. pretty much after every market. I haven't had, <laughs> I haven't heard a negative comment out of your mouth um, yet. It's because things have changed, and and you know I was. It, it's easy to be bearish cattle if we look at the spreads, but even those are changing right now. Been a little concerned about Feb live cattle. But if we flip the if we flip the coin and we look over at the hogs, we've got Feb pulling away from April. Uh, at least they were up till today. So that's telling me that we're still, as we go into the winter months, that we're still looking at strong demand at a tight supply uh, for U.S. pork. So that again is bullish. That's going to provide support to this market. The key is the fundamentals have changed in all of these markets. You know, for so long, they were bearish. Everything was bearish. We saw bearish spreads. We saw bearish bases. But the, but the flip, but, the, but everything has flipped. And we're now looking at the other side. We're seeing all this restraint that's been put on, including the hog market. All of a sudden, it's come off. And now we've got money coming into these markets. We've got fundamentals pushing these markets. And that's all we ever really need to see is to change, you know, to change our outlook as well as to, is to actually see some, some of these uh, changes in the structure of these different markets. It's um, definitely interesting and exciting, I suppose, to hear you fired up about markets like this. <laughs> but, uh, Darren, you mentioned – oh, sorry, go ahead. Mm -hmm. No, no, go – that's all right. I, 
You you mentioned earlier on, Darren, that you have been covering some of these topics in your analysis and your blog. If some of our listeners are mm-hmm. interested in catching up with you, reading to read what you're talking about and following, how can they do that? Easiest way is to go to our website, DarrenNewsom.com. Go to the services page, sign up for the seven day free trial. You can, you know, a lot of you are familiar with over the years with what I talk about, what I write and so on, but you can, you can see what our latest thoughts are, what my latest columns are, analysis, commentary and all that. Take a seven day free trial. Again, it's holiday season. What else do you have to do? It's too cold or it's going to be too, you know, weather's going to be something or other. So you can't go outside. You might as well stay in and read it. So uh, that's the easiest way to do it. Just go to DarrenNewsom.com. Take a look around. Fantastic. Well, Darren Newsom, thanks again for joining us today to Chat Markets. All right, Delaney, thanks for having me on. Well, again, a big thank you there to Darren having him on. Uh, Definitely different to hear him say he's bullish about all the markets, Ashton. You don't have quite as long a history with Darren as I do, but uh, he's not always a bullish guy. We'll just say that. Yeah, you're right. I don't have as much experience with Darren, but listening into that conversation, it was pretty great to hear. And we have one more episode this week, and that is going to be tomorrow for our Hashtag Tech Tuesday segment. So folks, be sure to tune back in at agnewsdaily.com to hear our final episode for the week before we head off for Thanksgiving. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.